0: Well, if you'll be finding the Gospel of Luke in the fifth chapter in your Bibles, Luke chapter 5, we'll pick up in verse number 12 as we study the Scripture together. By way of reminder, Luke in the very first chapter says, here's the whole reason I wrote the Gospel of Luke, that you may have certainty about the things that you have been taught. The primary reason that we're studying the Gospel of Luke is that you may have certainty about who Jesus is, what Jesus has done and what he's promised to still accomplish in our lives and in eternity. But I just want, it's always a good, uh, a good practice to remember why the book was written to begin with. We live in a very uncertain world. In fact, we live in a culture that says you pretty much can't be certain about anything. I mean, what you're certain about and what somebody else is certain about, they might not be certain about the same things. Luke says, I wrote this from the eyewitness accounts so that you may have certainty. Did you know that when it comes to Jesus, you can be certain? The Word of God is given to us so that you can be certain. These aren't shifting sands. Jesus said, if you'll build your house on the rock, and when the winds come and the rains come and the floods come, your house will stand, your life will stand. And that's what we're after, are things established on the rock of faith in the Lord Jesus. This past week, I was staying in a hotel and in the bathroom portion of the hotel, they had one of these mirrors. Have you ever seen one of these? I call them a high-definition mirror. Like these, these magnifying, I mean, you look into the mirror, and it makes your head look like the size of a water tower. Do you know what I'm saying? These, these mirrors, and it, and it's, it, is, it just shows kind of every pore, every blemish, every mark on you. It's a horrifying experience. I don't know why they put these mirrors. I, I think the strategy is they'll put these mirrors in the hotel room so that you'll never leave, leave the room. And then you'll be required to call in room service, and they'll just ratchet up the expense of staying there. I mean, you just see your face for, I, I guess, how it really is. I, I, it's a horrifying thought. Is this how I really look? You know, and then you just, go, you, know, you just go to bed after that point. There's nothing else to, to do. Uh, the Bible here in the Gospel of Luke gives us a clear picture of Jesus. And I'll tell you this about the Lord Jesus. As you look more closely at Him... It's not horrifying, at all. In fact, it draws you in. You, you you find out the closer I examine him, what he says, what he does, what he says that he's about, the more you want to examine. And so in Luke chapter 5, we're going to look at a pretty good number of verses, and we're going to see Jesus in action in a couple of different scenarios and scenes. We're going to kind of get a broad, a panoramic view, so to speak, of the ministry of Jesus as he interacts with people who have some really significant, really major problems. And what I want to go on and say on the front end is that Jesus steps in to problems, He doesn't step away from it. So if you've got that thought in your mind, well, I've got some issues, but I can't bring them to Jesus. They're too uh, um, uh, dirty or they're too, they make me feel too guilty. They're just too significant. Uh, He's the physician for spiritual sickness. And as a matter of fact, shortcut, there isn't anywhere else you can take these issues. Uh, we'll, we'll see some some people out throughout the Gospel of Luke that have some significant problems. Many of them have tried to go everywhere else but Jesus, and maybe that's where you are in your life right now. He said, "I've got some significant things going on emotionally, or with some sin habits, or just some stress at work or home, or so on and so forth." Let me just assure you on the front end, Jesus is someone that you can take your problems to. He he shows us this beginning in verse number 12. We're going to meet a man who's got a really significant problem. We're just going to read all the way through. We'll, We'll read Luke 5, 12, all the way through verse 39. But before we read, let's pray together. So, Father, I pray that you would help us to get a real clear picture of Jesus. A crystal clear picture. We understand from the scripture, Luke says that he wrote the gospel of Luke so that we would get a certainty about the things we've been taught specifically regarding Jesus. So, Father, I pray that we'll base our faith not about what people say about Jesus, but about what the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to write about Jesus. Help us to be a people who go to the primary source itself. Now, Father, give us eyes to see and ears to hear truth. Guard us from being hearers of the word only. And help us to understand that this picture of Jesus is for us. It's not for somebody else this morning. This is for us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you need your reading glasses or whatnot, you get those ready to go. We're going to read a little bit. Luke chapter 5, verse 12. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to cure him and to be healed of their infirmities, but he would withdraw to desolate places to pray. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with them, excuse me, was with him to heal. And behold, uh, behold, I got to slow down my reading, don't I? Some, and behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting out of the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance." And they said to him, The disciples of John fast often in their prayers and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, desires new. For he says, the old is good. So it's a panoramic of the ministry of Jesus. We're going to organize our thoughts around these three points. So uh, here they are. First of all, we're going to observe Jesus' power as it is established. Second, we're going to observe Jesus's purpose as it is explained. And then third, we're going to observe Jesus's presence as it is enjoyed. So we're going to look at Jesus's power, Jesus's purpose, and Jesus's presence. But you can't help but seeing real clear as we went through the panoramic of Jesus, that it was contrasted quite clearly with the power and the presence and the purpose of this other group of people tax, excuse me, uh, Pharisees and scribes uh, on, on a couple of these scenes, two scenes in particular, we see the Pharisees and the scribes that come along and Luke does a really a remarkable job of contrasting Jesus's power, purpose and presence with the Pharisees power, purpose and presence. And just quickly about the Pharisees, they have no power. Nobody enjoys their presence and nobody can explain their purpose. In fact, as we move along through the Gospel of Luke, here's what we'll learn. Their purpose begins to consolidate their power in order to remove the presence of Jesus. That's that's the story of the Pharisees. But let's look at Jesus' power, first of all, as it is established. Jesus' remarkable power is established in three situations and scenarios. One, a leper, one a paralytic, and one a tax collector. Let's begin with the leper. In those days, there's nothing more horrifying than the disease of leprosy. To get that diagnosis was, uh, was, was literally a death sentence. Uh, in, in those days, there's no known, known cure. And so what the leper would have to do is he would have to remove himself or herself from everyone because of how contagious the disease is. I mean, can you imagine this scenario, contracting leprosy and having to leave behind your family because you love them? To, because you don't want them to, to get the disease that you have, to have to say goodbye to your children. I mean, I was thinking about this in my own life, what this would have been like to stand before my children and and, and, and not even be able to hug them goodbye, to have to say, I've got to leave, and I'll never see you again. It's, it's, it's a living death sentence, and the disease literally eats you uh, alive. I mean, there's no more horrifying diagnosis than leprosy. And as you may well know, in those days, a leper would have to pretty much well wear a bell around their neck and everywhere they go, they've got to ring the bell as they approach any uh, uh, of the population and have to cry out unclean, unclean everywhere they go. That's the, that's the leper. That's his life. It says Jesus comes to the town. Now, uh, surrounding context here is verse 1, the crowd's pressing in on him. Uh, Verse 17, he's teaching the crowd. Uh, Verse uh, uh, Several other verses we can look at. There's always a crowd around Jesus, which makes it really difficult for the leper to get to Jesus. Because the leper's not not allowed around crowds. And what I want you to see is while leprosy was a real historical, physical disease, this really went on. That there's more going on than just the physical disease of leprosy. Leprosy throughout the Bible, because because while we we have our physical senses intact, our spiritual senses, depending on our walk with Jesus, are uh, a, a little less uh, clear. Is it often the Bible uses things that are true in the physical world to illustrate what's true in the spiritual world? And the physical disease of leprosy teaches us about the spiritual disease of of sin. The leper is is literally the walking dead. That, that that's who he is. It's it's, it's inevitable that the leper is going to die, and it's a it's progressive, but the end is sure. And that's the reality of sin. Sin literally eats you alive. Literally, figuratively, eats you alive. Deadens the senses of the spirit, so to speak. Well, it says. There was a man, and, and Luke, remember, what, what, what's Luke's occupation? He's a physician, and so he gives this description. The man was full of leprosy. It means we're at the end stage. Uh, we're not starting out with the little white specks on the skin. I mean, we're at the end game where fingers have been affected. Facial features have been affected. The nose, the ears, the body's been affected. He's what we would call terminal. It's just a a matter of time. He's full of of leprosy. The picture is is, is, it's a hopeless situation. There's no solution. He says there's a man full of leprosy and when he saw Jesus, okay, (laughs) he sees Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Those of us who uh, prayerfully in obedience share the gospel, this is when you know someone's ready to turn to faith in the Lord Jesus spiritually. When there's no arm pulling, there's no, okay, gotcha illustration. There's just, here's the gospel, and their response to it is, like this man, he falls on his face and begs him. Begs him. Now, I think it's appropriate at some points to beg people to come to faith in Christ. But I'll tell you, when the Holy Spirit is convincing a person about the validity of Scripture and the certainty of who Jesus is, there's not a lot of begging involved. They're coming alive spiritually. You don't have to say, please come. I believe this. When Jesus raises a man from the dead, it is a miraculous and powerful work. And here we see his response. Notice the response. Jesus stretched out his hand. And what's the Bible say he does? Touched him. Now, Jesus could just say, speak. But I want you to see the um, compassion of the Savior. Because here's one thing that hasn't happened to this man. And, I mean, he's full of leprosy. It's, it's been going on for a long time. There's been nobody who's touched him in a long time. So here's the compassionate Savior. I don't quite know how it happened. In, in, uh, it says he stretched out his hand. And he, and he grabs hold of him. Now, here's, here's what would typically happen is anybody who, who had done that, what have they just done to themselves? They've just guaranteed themselves they're going to get leprosy. And, and here's, the, here's the issue, is a lot of people have a hard time coming to Jesus because we wouldn't articulate it this way, but we think we'll, we'll end up making, somehow we'll make him unclean. Here's the good news. You can bring your sin issues to Jesus and you won't make him unclean. He, 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 he's, he, he becomes sin for us on the cross, but he doesn't, he, he, you're not going to make him unclean. You don't have to be ashamed of it. You just say, he, he, Here's the man. He says, Got nowhere else to turn. The power of Jesus is established. He stretched out his hand and said, I am willing. Be clean. What's the next word? Immediately. Immediately. Can you imagine standing there with this man full of leprosy, is fully restored? The, the, the flesh is restored, the, the face is restored. He, he says, I am willing. And I want you to know that's the words of your Savior. I am willing. And Luke has no words or phrases that he throws out just for the sake of throwing out. And I find it interesting that the Bible says he stretched out his hand. Because the way that we are made clean for sin, here's the way the scripture teaches us, is that he stretched out his hands. And they took those hands and they nailed him to the cross. And the blood that pours from the Savior as they nailed his cross, that is our means of cleansing. And Jesus says, if any man, excuse me, the scripture says, if any man will confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in his heart that God raised him from the dead, he will be saved. Another word for that is he will be cleansed. Anybody this morning, you say, that's my testimony. I've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. We observe Jesus' power as it is established. One is the leper. Second scene here is on one of those days he was teaching Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. It would come from every village. Second scene is the scene of the paralytic. Now, um, uh, of course, in those days as well, this is a very difficult situation. To be paralyzed in those days was excruciatingly painful. Uh, uh, It it also is a a life of isolation because it's a huge ordeal just to be able to to, to get out of the house. And and the Bible says that this group of men, we love this picture, don't we? This this man, this, this paralytic had these friends. They've heard the testimonies of Jesus and the power that's being established and they said, we're going to go to Him. But the problem is when they get there, the crowd's so significant, they they can't get in. In fact, the the Bible gives us some specifics about the crowd. I want you to look in verse 17. It says, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. When I read that, I feel like that phrase is full of weight. Sitting there. Here's what the Pharisees are doing. Just sitting there. Just sitting around. Critiquing, criticizing, observing, complaining. Here are the verbs that are associated with the Pharisees throughout the Scripture. Grumbling. Angry. Bitter. Religious. Legalists. Here's the testimony of the legalists. Sitting there. (laughs) Just sit there. And it's still true today. There are people who in church will just sit there and sit there and sit there and sit there week after week after week after week. And here's a man who wants to come by faith to Jesus and he can't get to Jesus because there's a barrier of people who are just what? Sitting there. And that's still true today. There's still people who will just sit there, and they're actually a barrier to Jesus. And all they'll do is they'll criticize, and they'll critique, and they play armchair theologian. They're not in any way involved in actually ministering to people. All they're doing is, Jesus will, will elsewhere say in the Gospels, is putting on the shoulders of people these weights that they themselves do not carry. That's the testimony, that's the definition of a legalist. He just sits there over and over, week after week after week. In fact, in fact... These miraculous works of God are taking place. Just think about it. A leper's been healed. A paralytic's about to jump up and get going. And a tax collector's whole life is going to change. And the end result of that is, here's their question. Why don't your disciples fast? Isn't that, isn't that bizarre? A, a legalist, a religious legalists can see miraculous works of God and their heart is so hardened that they'll just come up with some off-the-wall, bizarre theological question. Well, why, why, don't, why don't y'all do this? Why, why don't you do that? Well, why why why, 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 why? And they'll spend their whole life that way. They'll spend their entire existence sitting there and never once get up out of the seat and go and help. But I want you to see in the face of their powerlessness, the authority of Jesus. It says, verse 19, finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof. And this is preaching as they say they really brought the roof down. Let him down with his bed through the tiles in the midst before Jesus. So here's the contrast is the Pharisees are jealous and angry primarily for this reason. Because when Jesus stands up to preach, a whole lot of people come. They get up to do their Bible study and nobody's there and they begin to get upset. Now, let me give you a quick contrast. We say, What is it about the preaching of Jesus that is uh, different? Give you a couple examples. Back here to Luke chapter 4, when Jesus was in Nazareth. Just give you a few quick points. Uh, This is a little bit of a sidebar, so just hang with me. But here's biblical preaching, biblical proclamation. It says, uh, Jesus speaking in verse 18 of chapter 4, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Let me give you just a couple of characteristics of Jesus' preaching in contrast to the Pharisees' preaching. Number one is it's scriptural he takes the word of god and he preaches the word of god now the pharisees their habit was just to stand up and talk about some uh, and quote some other author or quote some other person or quote some other uh, pharisee and it's just a Pharisees quoting pharisees and it sort of gets really dull and really boring and really hard to sit and listen to after a while it's the sort of preaching that people say well when is this going to be over. Maybe you feel like that this morning. But we're going to try to preach the way that Jesus would have, would have preached. Number one, it's scriptural. And number two, I want you to see that it's about Jesus. And look what he says. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon who? Me. Because he has anointed who? Me. To proclaim good news to the poor. He has set me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of the sight to the blind and set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. One, Jesus' preaching is scriptural. And two, Jesus' preaching is Christ-centered. It's all about Jesus. So anytime you're going to listen to a sermon, anytime you're going to listen to preaching, if you're at home and you're going to cut on the television, for example, and you're going to sit there and listen to some preaching, you want to listen very carefully to, are they scriptural or is it a lot of what I call dot, dot, dot preaching? Here's a quote from scripture, dot, 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 a phrase, dot, 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 a phrase, dot, 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 a phrase. And what they've actually done is they've taken the scripture and twisted it so it meets their own self-centered message. And number two, what do they say about Jesus. I tell you if, you, if you sit there and listen long enough and Jesus is not mentioned, here's what you do with your remote, you turn the TV off and go pick up your Bible and begin to read it. You do yourself much better that way. And then third, his preaching was centered actually on the human condition. This isn't preaching that's detached from how people really are. Here's this, to, 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 a, to proclaim good news to the poor, to set at liberty those who are captives. See, people would come to the Pharisees and have real significant issues in their life, like leprosy, like paralysis, or take the case of Matthew. Day after day going to work, and his life is meaningless. We'll get to him in a moment. And when they would go listen to the Pharisees, they had said nothing to say about how life really is. Uh, Some people sometimes suggest that this book's not relevant. And anytime somebody says this book's not relevant, the follow-up question is, is, have you ever actually read it? Or does some professor in some undergraduate philosophy class tell you that and you just believed it? Or did you actually get out the book and begin to read it for yourself? I'll tell you who found it very relevant, and that's the man with paralysis who had nowhere else to go. As we observe the power of Jesus established, he says, man, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes and the Pharisees, who, by the way, were just sitting there, began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Good question, answer, nobody application Jesus is God Jesus Christ is God and Jesus perceived their thoughts he answered them why do you question in your hearts which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk but the man, that you may know that the son of man has authority to, on earth to forgive sins he said to the man who was paralyzed I say to you rise pick up your bed go home the most excited people in the whole place were probably the, the, the men who had carried him there to begin with, right? Don't have to carry him home. He's going to walk on his own. He's going to go home. And, and, and the Pharisees, now listen again, the Pharisees are actually there. They see this happen. And they go home and they just grumble some more. Well, there were some there who said, we have seen extraordinary things today. There is a spiritual desperation that isn't always associated with a physical ailment. We see that in the case of Matthew. I know Anthony Bahalus preached these scriptures last week, so I won't go into great detail. But I just want you to know, he also goes to a man who for all intents and purposes is physically fine. Matthew does not have leprosy. And Matthew does not have paralysis. But Matthew, in this text called Levi, they're the same, same name he still has big problems. And maybe, maybe that's applicable to some of us here today. Is on the outside, everything looks fine. Ma- Matthew on the outside, good paying job, providing for his family. But at the same time, something significant is missing. And what's missing is Jesus. And by the way, that's what's always going to be missing in your life until you, until you come to Jesus. He saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Jesus' power is established in that Christ is <laughs> worth leaving everything else behind for. Now, now, Matthew's a tax collector. In those days, uh, tax collectors are not popular. So the Pharisees and the scribes, in fact, they despised the tax collectors. The tax collectors were Jewish people who were working for the Roman government, and so they had a, a a unique disdain among everybody else in the in the community. They're sort of working for the enemy, right? Rome. That's we want the Messiah to come and throw Rome's authority off. That's that's the mentality of the day, and so here's Levi, a tax collector, and what they were known, why they were so despised, is uh, what what they would do is they were sort of uh, get permission from Rome, they would pay a fee to Rome to have the right to collect taxes, and then from that point on, they pretty much could do what they wanted to do. They wanted to just set up their tax uh, tax booth on the highway, and and just say, okay, if you're going to pass through here, oh, you're on your way to Jerusalem. Well, great. Here's the here's the tax. Highway tax. It's like if you went out here to I-95 and went north and you got up there and boom, every other mile marker here is somebody saying, "We well, here, here it is. And, and the people of, of the community had no recourse. They couldn't say this is unfair. They said, well, I don't care if you think it's unfair. You're still going to pay me. And the closest comparison we have in our country's history is sort of, you remember the old uh, city bosses? Like old Boss Tweed from the 19th century in New York City who just kind of ran everything and you just paid him back pocket and, and, and or he blackmailed and so on and so forth. That, that's kind of how the tax collectors were in those days. And so there was a, they, they were despised. One, they're working for the Romans and two, they're, they're cheating us. And the benefit for the tax collectors is in the process, guess what happened to them? They, well, they got pretty wealthy. It's sort of like the mafia. I mean, they, they just got rich, ripping people off. And that's who Levi is. So that's what's going on in his life. When you see Jesus said to him, follow me. And something must have already been going on in Levi's mind. I got a lot of money, but there's just something missing. And he says he left everything. He rose and followed him. And then he made a great feast because he said, man, other people got to know about this Savior. So we see the power of Jesus as it is established In the life of the leper, in the life of the paralytic, and in the life of Matthew. Now, briefly, we'll see the purpose of Jesus as it is explained. Now, think about these uh, living metaphors. A leper is healed, a paralytic walks home, and a sinner repents. And here are the Pharisees grumbling. Um. Most people who don't walk with God, in the end, just become grumblers. Now, in the last five or eight years, we've seen a technological revolution in this country. Everything from Facebook to Twitter. And, 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 and as I observe those uh, means, do you know what most of it is? Grumbling. You get on there, and status after status, grumble, grumble, grumble. And then somebody grumbles about their grumbling. Grumbling. And then once they grumble about their grumbling, somebody else comes along and either likes their grumbling or doesn't like their grumbling. And then they go to and then they grumble. All technology is, is a dispersal of what's in the human heart, right? And and it goes back to then. Man, can you imagine if these Pharisees had Facebook back then? Here's their status. Can you believe what Jesus did today? Can can, can you believe? Can anybody tell me, Why aren't his disciples fasting? And then here comes another Pharisee, and they'd comment on that. Yeah, I wonder if that's... And they wouldn't say anything about, did anybody see the leper healed today? Did did anybody see the paralytic? He got his mat up and he walked home. I walked by Levi's tax booth, and he's not even there anymore. And what would compel him to leave behind that living and follow Jesus? The, The purpose of Jesus is explained. I've come to proclaim good news to the poor See, Levi wasn't rich. He was poor. And then he heard good news. I, 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 he sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. You're not a captive to that mad anymore. Pick it up and go home. Recovery of sight to the blind and set at liberty those who are oppressed. Hey, that bell that you've got to ring everywhere and scream out unclean, you can get rid of it. Go give it to your cow. You know, your cow can wear the bell now. That's the purpose of Jesus, is to free people. And nobody gets more upset about People being freed than those who want to keep people captive. And that's who the Pharisees are. And Pharisee, the spirit of Pharisee, of the Pharisees lives today. So the criticisms of the Pharisees begin. Who's been healed in these texts? The humble, the hurting, the empty, the broken. How can you not be happy for the paralytic who's walking or Levi when he repents? And instead of rejoicing again, they ask these. Nitpicky questions about why the disciples aren't fasting. And, and then we see, third, observe the, uh, the presence of Jesus as it is enjoyed. We get that from his, he answers the question about why there's no fasting. He says, well, well uh, he, he says, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. And then they will fast in those days. Those days are these days, by the way. But he's going to come back. Because the whole point of fasting is that you're setting aside a physical appetite. For the most part, fasting has to do with food. And so so you're going to skip some meals. uh, so, so, So you're going to be physically hungry. But you do that in order to set your heart and mind on a greater appetite. And that's that Jesus would come. Now, if that's what fasting is about, when Jesus is here, you don't fast because you're with him. <laughs> so, so, so that's what Jesus says. Why are they going to fast? They're waiting for the... Br- I'm here, no fasting. I'm going to go, and when I'm gone, then they can fast. So this week, we can fast. We, we fast because we long for Jesus to, to return. And you see, for the humble and the repenting and the broken... The presence of Jesus is enjoyed. So we see his power established, his purpose explained, his presence enjoyed. And there's only one group of people in this whole text that don't enjoy the presence of Jesus, and that's these grumbling Pharisees and the scribes. It's a good question to ask yourself, by the way, do I enjoy the presence of Jesus? Do I long to be in fellowship with Jesus? Um, I do also think, as we take this panoramic view of these uh, three scenes, that they're not just thrown together. We see somebody cleansed, then we see somebody get up and walk, and then we see somebody leave everything and follow him. So let's put the three three pictures together: be clean, rise and walk, follow me. You hearing him? Be clean, <laughs> rise and walk follow me. There's a gospel order to these scenes. In other words, I think there's a reason why the leper is shown first, the paralytic is shown second, and then Levi is shown third, because that's the gospel order of things. First, be clean. Be cleansed of your sins, your transgressions, your iniquities. There is healing, there is cleansing to be found in Jesus. And then, once you are cleansed, you don't have to be paralyzed anymore by fear, by doubt, by the sins that made you unclean to begin with. You're free from them. So rise. Walk. But don't just walk off in any old direction. As you walk, you follow him. You leave everything behind, and you follow him. Be clean. Rise. Follow me. I want you to look at those three scenes because in one of the scenes you're going to be able to find out where you are in one of them. First scene is a leper who needs to be cleansed. Who is that? That's a sinner who needs to come to faith in Christ. You're living a uh, sort of a living death. You're actually spiritually dead. That's what the Bible says. You're physically existing, but that's that's momentary. it's, It's going to happen full of leprosy. When sin is full blown, what's the Bible say? It brings forth, help me, Death. That's that's the uh, the end game of sin. The good news is that Jesus came near and said, well, I'm not going to leave you there. I'm not going to leave you just to have leprosy and die. I'm going to stretch out my hand. I'm going to shed my blood so that you can be cleansed. So if you've never come to faith in Jesus, here's here's the invitation. He stretched out his hands and said, I am willing if you will read it with me fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus has never, has never, will never turn away the one who sincerely repents in faith. Won't ever happen. Second scene is of the paralytic. He's living, he's breathing, but he's immobile. He's not going anywhere. And I think that's a picture of someone who, who has come to faith in Christ, but there's something going on in life where... Uh, when it comes to the commands of Jesus to go and proclaim the gospel, to go to the ends of the earth or, or to, to, to be reconciled to your neighbor and so on and so forth, something's just kind of got a hold of you and you're just immobilized. And Jesus says, you can rise and walk. And he also says to him, your sins are forgiven. So most often what happens, even in our lives as believers, after we've come to faith in Christ, is that we can still be sort of paralyzed, if you will, by, by sin. You got something in your life? If we just ask it like this, what's the most significant sin issue in your life? boom, most of us, if not all of us, would immediately be able to say, I'm filling that blank, and this is what it is. And that's uh, the author of Hebrews says it's the sin that so easily entangles us. And so there's the language again of of something in your life that just restricts you. So you're not walking. Remember when Lazarus came out of the tomb? He was all wrapped up in grave clothes. You remember that? And the first thing Jesus says to he gets a couple says, go and unbind him. Lazarus is alive, but Lazarus is constricted. Is that your life right now? I think I am a believer in Jesus Christ, but man, I'm just tied up in something. Your sins are forgiven. Rise and walk. Do you know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins? I say, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. The power of Jesus is established in that he can set the captives free. Or then perhaps the scene is the third scene is that something's just holding you back from following Jesus. Verse 28 says of Levi, Leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Um, when Abel was a little boy, we had one of these things that we held on to, little a <laughs> little backpack with a handlebar on it, basically what it was, it gave him a little leeway. So he just couldn't go too so far. It was for his good, for his protection, right? We just kind of pulled... There are some things that aren't good in your life that sometimes you're going to say, "I'm going to follow Jesus," and you go, and it just snaps you back. You say, "I'm going to follow Jesus," and it just... Sna- what is it? Is it the love of uh, love of your own life? Again, it was sin issue. The love of uh, uh, here's Levi's case it could have been the love of money. Uh, this is a comfortable uh, tax booth here. I'm not hurting anybody. I'm just I'm just going to sit here on my nice soft cushion and I'm going to live my life that way. And Jesus said, "You got to follow me. In order to follow him, you've got to leave everything." behind because I'll tell you this, this is what'll happen in your life if you don't rise and walk and get up and start following Jesus here's what's going to happen pharisees are going to say it's okay i got a seat for you right here you sit with us and we'll just spend our lives sitting here grumbling that's the picture that we get in the gospel of luke people either being healed cleansed freed up forgiven redeemed restored raised to life Following Christ, that's one group of people. Second group of people, sitting there, sitting there, sitting there. Well, let's rise and <laughs> we'll pray together. Our close examiner of the Scripture this morning says that Jesus in this panoramics says three things. Be clean. Rise and Walk. Follow me. So when we come to a time of invitation. Those are the invitations. One, you're invited to become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, to be clean. You say, I don't know. You don't know what I've done. No, I don't know what you've done, but I'm not the one offering these words. Jesus is. And he does know what you've done. And he says, I've stretched out my hand. By my death, you may be cleansed. No, I'm not just going to talk about it. I'm going to stretch out my hand. I'm going to do something about it. The propitiation of the blood of Jesus is the way the Bible says. What does that mean? He just means that He took took your place. He died the death that we deserve because of our sins and has made a way for you to be reconciled to the Father. Second point of invitation is that you just need to rise and walk. Something's just got you paralyzed, if you will, a fear, a doubt, a sin, a frustration, a wound. You're just going to have to uh, trust Jesus. The power of Jesus. Or, he says, thirdly, rather, follow me. Is there something in your life, a possession or a relationship, or preventing you from following him? Jesus said, This is a new covenant. It's not old wine. This is new. This is the new covenant. We're not seeking to add something to the old. He says, I've come to establish the new. Father, would you give us boldness and humility? When the lepers healed, there wasn't a lot of hesitation. And I believe when you do the work in the heart of a man or a woman, that it's a powerful work. So I pray in Jesus' name, even during this time of invitation, you'd work in great power. And it's about rooted in your purpose. Your purpose was to come and Set it free, the captives. Father, if there's anybody here who's captive this morning, by the power of the gospel, we're not ashamed of it. We believe it is the power of God unto salvation. By the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, I pray with that kind of power, you'll be at work among us this morning. Healing, restoring, redeeming, forgiving, cleansing. Father, if we have any ungodly attachment in our life that's preventing us from really following you, Reveal it, remove it. Give us a greater love for Christ than the things that prevent us from following Christ. And help us to be uh, eager and humble during a time of invitation to be prayerful, either where we're seated or if we're going to rise up and walk and humble ourselves and get on our knees before you at the front. Father, I pray that the invitation is glorifying to Jesus, led by the Spirit, pleasing to the Father. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.